when she was singing. The object, uh, thank you, Lord, for making me the object of your love. First um, Timothy chapter one, verse twelve. Paul, this is Paul's testimony of thanking God. I thank God, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Jesus Christ. And um, I hope that's your testimony as well, that there has been a time in your life that you realize that you were an object of God's love, whether, and the fact is, is whether you acknowledge it or not, you are an object of God's love. And He wants to save you. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And if you haven't received that, you are missing out on so much because God wants to save you. He wants to shower you with an everlasting love. So I encourage you to receive Him as your Savior if you haven't already. Um, now that the children have gone, will you go ahead and uh, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter three? We're going to continue in our study of Second Thessalonians. Paul has been encouraging this group of Christians in Thessalonica to encourage them with his faithfulness in chapter one, uh, encouraging them with God's rule over their uh, over the future in the first part of chapter two, and in the last half of chapter two that we studied last week, he encouraged them with God's presence, encouraging them to turn their eyes upon Him. Now that we're here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're only going to be studying the first five verses of this chapter. And everyone said, Amen. Right? <laughs> but don't, don't hold your breath yet. Verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is among you. And that ye and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patient waiting for Christ. Since I've moved to Akron, I've had a lot of new experiences and you know, I've had to go to the doctor's office, the dentist's office, and you, and what happens when you're new to town and you have a new doctor, a new dentist? What happens? You gotta fill out all the new forms, don't you? And so it's always just tedious, and they give you a clipboard, don't they? You walk in, and they're like, "Here, I'm gonna have you fill this out." And the same uh, that that occurrence happened to me when I went to the dentist for the first time here in Akron, and. Just a checkup and a normal cleaning, no problems really. But uh, went there and they handed me this clipboard and as usual, I, you know, I was just in the routine, just write it all down real quick and filled it out as fast as I can because I wanted to, it was my day off. I wanted to do something else besides spend it in the dentist office, right? So I quickly do it and hand it to her and then about a minute later she hands it back to me. I'm like, did I miss something? She says, you forgot to fill out the back <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I just I hate the forms. I mean, I love dentists, I love doctors, and I know that they had to have those forms, but you know, I just totally missed the missed the mark. I totally didn't even realize that there was a back side to that form. And you know, a lot of times we, uh, you know, as I looked at the back of that form, it was important stuff on there like medical history, 
Uh, medications I'm allergic to. That's a good thing. You know, don't want them uh, giving me some allergic, causing some allergic reaction, right? Killing me on the t- in the chair. Um, you know, want them to know about our, you know, all my medical history, which I really don't have much of a medical history. But anyway, that that would be important though, as they minister drugs and stuff. And uh, we kind of take that same attitude of just rushing through prayer the same way, and just we get in a routine of going into prayer and just praying for only physical things. If you have one of our prayer sheets, you'll see on there there's a lot of physical needs and that tends to be the majority of what the needs are in the church at least expressed on our prayer list. But I tell you, we need to flip the page over and see the other other side of the situation. There are spiritual needs that we have. As Christians, we are in a spiritual battle. You and I are fighting a spiritual fight. And... um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so as Christians, we are not fighting with one another, or hopefully. We're not fighting with the world, you know, the human beings in the community of Akron that are unbelievers. We're not fighting with the homosexuals. We're not fighting with the secularists. We're fighting against Satan. And we're fighting against a spiritual darkness. Are we not? Amen? Okay. You guys awake? Whatever. (laughs) But we're in a spiritual battle. And uh, we are facing spiritual traps. And we're facing a spiritual enemy. And for us to go into that battle thinking, I need to be concerned about just the physical, we're totally missing the mark. And the Apostle Paul brings attention to spiritual needs, and he encourages them, uh, the Thessalonians, to pray for his spiritual needs. He says in verse 1, pray for us. Man, the Apostle Paul was an awesome guy. He was so smart. He knew so much of the Old Testament. God used him in a great way. He wrote most of, he didn't write it, but God used him to write most of the New Testament. Pretty awesome feats, huh? Pretty awesome guy. Very smart guy. Um, very popular before he was saved. But here in this passage, he's humble enough to admit that he has spiritual needs. And for us to sit in this church auditorium and think, oh, I'm alright. You know, you just pray for this physical matter. We've totally missed the mark. We need people to pray for our spiritual needs. I was so encouraged. Many of you know that Marlene got some bad news this last week. And we started their prayer chain. And we and I shared with you what Wally and Marlene requested. They requested for spiritual needs. That God would give them contentment. And that God would give them wisdom for the choices to make. And it's that kind of maturity that we need as a whole in our church body. To pray for spiritual needs for one another, but also spiritual needs for ourselves. And what kind of spiritual needs should you be praying for? First of all, pray for spiritual feats in ministry, verses 1 through 2. Spiritual faithfulness in temptation, verses 3 and 4. And spiritual focus in heart, in verse 5. Pray for spiritual feats in ministry. Oh, we need to pray for this. Uh, Have you prayed for spiritual accomplishments today? I have. Do I always 
I wish I did more consistently. But you know what? I think we do miss the mark when we don't pray for God to work through the ministry of the Gospel. Uh, Here, the Apostle Paul says in verses 1 and 2, specifically verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord, talking about the Gospel, may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. What kind of accomplishments uh, did Paul request that we should pray for? First of all, we would pray for liberty of Christ's message. That it would go about and have free course. You know, some of you guys like to watch football. I'm not much of a football fan, but I used to play football. Not professionally, of course. But uh, I used to play football just in my neighborhood. And as the big guy, I was always the, you know, see the receiver in the front? That I can't remember. The guy, I, they just said, hey, give me the ball and then tackle and then knock all these people out of my way. Okay, that's what they told me to do. So anyway, um, that's what I did. But when, uh, but sometimes they would have me run and to a certain place. They'd have me go out and go to the right, or they'd have me go at a slant and then do a loop de loo. They'd draw on the ground. You know, as kids, we were like drawing in the grass with our fingers. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Right? I hope so. Or you're sissies if you didn't. I'm just joking. Nah, nah. That's just what we did. All right. Um, just forget about that. Last remark. But anyway, when you're, when, you're, when you're in the football play, right, and they give you a play, you're ready to go, and they say, hike, and then the quarterback gets the ball, and what is he doing? He's looking for an opportunity, right? Opportunity, throw the ball. And then he passes the ball. Is that the end of the play? No. You've got to receive the ball, right? And then, if it's a running, if you pass it and you got, you're not tackled yet, you run, right? And then when you get in the end zone, you spike it, right? And you go, woo! And you glorify and you celebrate the awesome play you just performed. And you know, giving the gospel is kind of like that. I don't mean to be too, I don't mean to be sacrilegious or silly, but Paul actually says, pray for opportunities. Uh, in Colossians 4, verse 3, with all, praying also for us that God would open a door of utterance an opportunity to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. What is he praying for here? He's praying for open opportunities and that God would give him the ability to make it very clear as he is preaching and delivering the Gospel. Do you pray for that for me? (laughs) Do you pray that for yourself? Do you pray that for other uh, messengers of the Gospel when the message goes forth? Uh, pray for the reception of the gospel. And it's implied here, but that God would go forth and would prepare hearts to receive the message. Here in the verse, we see the running of the gospel. Pray for the running of the gospel. Verse 1, that it would have free course. That word free is actually not in the, the text itself. It's implied. But the word that might have course, it might, it's the word run. That's how it can be translated. That the word of the Lord may run. Did you know that the word of God runs? Uh, figuratively, that's what we should pray for. And what is he talking about here? Is that it would be propagated rapidly. That it would just spread like wildfire. And do we pray that the word of God would be spread in such a way? And in pray, praying for the gospel to be glorified in verse 1, the, the 
end of it, it says that the gospel or the word of the Lord may be glorified even as it is with you. That it would be exalted. That that people, as they they have received the gospel of Christ, that the gospel would be exalted in their lives. And what does he mean by that? That it would be glorified in their lives. I am going to use the Thessalonians as examples. Let me, uh, if you will just allow me to read just a couple of verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We see that after the Thessalonians received the gospel of Christ, they spread it to others. I love the song choices today. Uh, the theme that's been uh, presented about the gospel and taking it to people. That's exactly what the Thessalonians did. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, which was the region they lived in, their country, if you want to call it that, and Achaia, which is where Paul's writing from in Corinth. That's this, this other country. It had spread to another country because of them, because they were a port city. But also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. See, the intent in saving you and giving the gospel to you is so that it would be spread to others. It's not an addition thing, it's a multiplication thing. So that as I go to Josiah and I give him the gospel and he accepts Jesus as his personal Savior, then I go to more people and spread the gospel than he goes to people, and then what happens? There's going to be two people saved instead of just one. Whereas when I was ministering, and then when those three people, that then those two people that just got saved, if they go out, what happens? It's exponential, isn't it? You instead of having two more people, uh, instead of just having four people, we're going to have 16 people going out and sharing the gospel. I hope I haven't lost you on the math. But anyway, we you know that it spreads, it's exponential, and that's exactly how the gospel works. Is that as I go to this person and share Christ, when they receive the gospel, they should spread it as well. And it glorifies the gospel, exalts it in our in their country, in their area, their community. But then verses nine and ten of that same chapter, we saw that also the Thessalonians glorified the gospel and glorified the Lord Jesus Christ and how they were living. Because they gave, they pointed, their lifestyle pointed back to the gospel and how God changed their lives. Verse 9, For they themselves, these people that have heard of how you received the gospel, they've received the gospel message, they themselves show us what manner of entering we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And so, we have here that others have may see how God has changed your life. And that is the way that the Gospel is exalted. It's it's basically like a spike in the end zone. That everyone sees that, you know, something has happened. The play has been successful. And it's changed your life. And then, not only pray for the liberty of Christ's message, but in verse 2, Paul prays for the liberty of Christ's messengers. Um, It says in verse 2, "...and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith." Uh, He prays, first of all, that God would free them from unreasonable men. 
What are unreasonable men? They're men that are just of outrageous conduct. They're destructive in their opposition. They would be violent and they would be bitter. They would be uh, just a thorn in the preacher's side. And that happens. Where you have people, I'm not eyeing anybody in here, but I'm thinking. (laughs) You know, where Satan allows people to get into the life of the preacher to discourage them. You know, of the messenger. And it's not just, by the way, as we're talking about messenger, it's not just the pastor. It's, I'm talking about you too. Because you're supposed to be messengers of the gospel as well. But that we would ask God to remove destructive opposition. But then also um, evil or devious opposition from our ministry and spread of the gospel. He asked that God would free them from evil men. These are people that are just intent on causing mischief. As they are there and these would be characteristic of the Jewish leaders that Paul was running into and the Gentile leaders that tried to kill him. People desiring to cause mischief, people desiring to cause harm. And so he prays that the messenger might have liberty in giving the message. So not just liberty for the message, but also for the messenger, that it would go and it would have free course. Do you pray that way? If you would look at your prayer life and you would examine how much you pray, first of all, to God, but also how much of that time, which is probably, if it's like most, it's not as much as it should be, but of that time, how much is spent on spiritual, praying for the ministry of the gospel, praying for freedom in the ministry of the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you, like Paul does, to pray for spiritual feats in ministry. A lot of times we hear about what's going on in our country and how it needs revival, it needs changing, it needs this, that, and the other, you know. But do we take those things to God in prayer? Do we pray for God to, um, do we go to God as defeatist, as fatalistic, like we already lost? Or we go to God and we say, God, this is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual work. And the only way that we're going to get spiritual success is if your spirit is working. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us an accomplishment here. That you would cause um, a feat, a defeat of the foe, more or less. And so God's spirit is the only one who will bring spiritual success. And so are you praying for Christ's message to succeed? That people would respond to God's message. That it would, that God's word would rapidly be shared, and that it would change lives. And are you praying for your missionaries? We talked about the Gutierrez family today. Um, there's always a need to be praying more, not only for our missionaries and our pastors, but what about military chaplains? Are you praying for the military chaplains that are ministering to those, uh, the families of those four Marines and this one naval officer that was killed in this recent shooting? We need to be praying for one another because we all are messengers of the gospel. Then pray also for spiritual faithfulness and temptation. Verses 3 and 4, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. We see here that in the latter half, in verse 4, he says, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. The Apostle Paul prayed with confidence. 
And I think that's a whole other sermon or series altogether. Is going to the Lord and praying in confidence. But the Apostle Paul, he prayed in confidence that the Thessalonians were going to be faithful. Why? Look at verse 3. Because the Lord is faithful. Because the Lord is faithful. That is why we can pray with confidence. Because the Lord is faithful. He never changes. He's always consistent. And we need to pray with confidence in the Lord's faithfulness. Why do we need to pray so much for spiritual temptations? Because we are against a spiritual foe. We face a spiritual foe. In verse 4, Paul uses the word evil. That um, He says that... Oh, excuse me, verse 3. No wonder I couldn't find it. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil or the evil one. He's talking about Satan here. He's talking about spiritual battle. And so we need to practically go to the Lord and ask Him for strength for satanic attacks. And I'm not saying that Satan attacks every time, but he does attack us. And a lot of times it's our sinful flesh as well. But we need to pray for the Lord's strength. He uses that word establish in verse 3. That the Lord is faithful who shall establish you. Establish you. Strengthen you. And what kind of strength should we pray for? We should pray for God's strength to escape temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. There's our word. God is faithful. He's faithful in doing what? Not allowing you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen up. We think about examples like Joseph back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis with Potiphar's wife. Joseph was faithful, but was it that he just was a strong man and he stood against the temptation? No, God provided him a way of escape and he took it. He ran from Potiphar's wife and he was able to overcome that temptation that way. We need to pray also for God's strength to overcome temptations in general, to resist them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 is a very encouraging verse. Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. See, the Spirit of God that dwells within us will give us a way of escape, but He also will give us the empowering we need to resist the devil. And I'm so glad that James chapter 4 says, if you resist, if you submit to God and resist the devil, what is the promise? He will flee from you. That is a promise of God that you can claim. Ask the Lord also to protect you from Satan's attacks. And that's a legitimate prayer. I don't think we can go about avoiding them all the time, but we should pray that God would protect you from Satan's attack. And that's exactly what's in verse uh, 3 here, that He would keep you from the evil one. Pray specifically for the powerful use of God's armor. God's given you some armor. I mentioned that last week. I'm not sure if I read from that passage, but... Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. A lot of times we don't even put on the armor of God. 
And we don't put it on in its entirety. But we need it. And we need to, and that's one way we can be strong. Uh, we can use that against, against the wiles of the devil. We, we know what the spiritual armor are. You may have learned it. I know our adults have in Sunday school. But it's one thing to know it, and there's another thing to actually use it. And that is by the Spirit of God. And then we would also pray for the, uh, I'm going to reword this, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, uh, Paul talks about God being faithful again. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. But the verse before it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you or make you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul may be preserved or purified, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we're ever going to be faithful to the Lord and we're going to keep going and we're going to be faithful in temptations is if the Lord does the work. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility in it. We definitely have to be yielding to Him. But we need to be praying for spiritual faithfulness in our temptation. The question is, is not whether you're going to be tempted, it's when. And are you ready for it? Spiritual temptation is a spiritual battle. And it's something that is spiritual. Something you can't go into in your own flesh, in your own strength. You have to have the Spirit of God working and empowering you. And so that is the need for prayer. That you would pray that pray regularly for the Lord's strength for your trials. That you would pray regularly for God's protection as you're being tempted by the evil one to give in, to doubt, to succumb to unbelief. And then number three, pray for spiritual focus in your heart. Verse 5 says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Uh, how many of you been to Mount Rushmore before? A number of you, because we're so close, right? It's only about six hours or so away. Um, we got to go before we moved out here. What was it, like the summer, the summer before, something like that. But we got to go up there with my parents. And uh, if you remember, when you go up to Mount Rushmore, uh, there's a little visitor center, and then you can go to a place where they have these little coin-operated binoculars. And you see Mount Rushmore from a distance, and you can see it very clearly, but I was like, I want to get a close look, and the boys wanted to look too, so put some change in there and looked through those glasses, and all I could see was granite, or whatever kind of rock is up there. All I could see was that rock, just gray. I was like, the focus that they had on there was really strong, but it, actually it was just fine. They had it set. You couldn't adjust it that I know of, but... So I pulled back and I looked at Mount Rushmore again. And I found out I was pointing at the wrong place. <laughs> you know? And that's exactly how it is sometimes. Uh, I mean, I wasn't like way over here, but I was pointing in the wrong place. Uh, and so then I guided those binoculars to where, to the general area. And then I saw George, uh, then I saw George Washington's nose, you know? And I could, I could find out all these different uh, features of, that were on the rocks. But, you know, that's exactly how it is sometimes as when we're in trials is that we lose focus. We don't see the forest because of the trees that are right in front of us. And we need to pray that God would direct the focus of our heart to what is true. And what does He pray for here in verse 5? 
that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God or to the love of God. That word direct means to remove the hindrances from coming to the Lord. And Paul, I know that I kind of preached on this last week, so it is kind of a reminder, but I think we should take that, take that to heart, that he's repeating himself. This is an important thing because it's a common problem of our focus being turned away and being put on the wrong things. He's not just instructing us to turn our direction, our eyes to the Lord, but he's saying pray. Pray for that kind of focus. That we would ask God to direct our hearts to His love. That we may be encouraged by His love for us and our trials. And I emphasized last week about how God has loved us in the past. And of course He's loving us now. But I I didn't share this verse with you because of time's sake last week. But Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If He's given us His most precious gift, what is He going to withhold from you? And when we're going through times of trial, times of temptation, times of heartache, it's very easy to succumb to the lie that God does not love us. He does not care. But He does. If He cared enough to give you His only begotten Son so you could be saved, He definitely is going to take care of your needs now. And we just sometimes can't understand how God's love works. But if He loved us to that great extent, is He going to withhold anything else from us? And the answer is absolutely not. Then we should also pray and ask God to direct our hearts to Christ's endurance. The verse... The way it's translated here in verse 5 is a little misleading. Uh, it says, into or to the patient waiting for Christ. The word here actually is the same word that we've looked at in the past for patience or endurance. That's what it means. It, it, does, it can mean waiting, but that's more of an interpretation. Literally, it means into the patience of Christ. And... Um, you know, you can't interpret it for the return of Christ, but I believe it's more consistent with what's going on here to talk about Christ's patience. How was Christ patient? How did He endure? First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 21, was written to people in suffering. And Peter used the endurance of Christ in this way. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Another passage that came to mind this morning was Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Why? This is the reason. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What I believe Paul is referring to here is that we would 
focus on the example of Christ. That we're not alone in suffering. That we're not alone in being long-suffering with persecution, with disease, with whatever trials that we're going through. That we're not the only ones that have suffered long for for God Almighty. Jesus Christ has too. And it should encourage us that if Christ did it, that He's going to give us the grace to do it too. But we need to pray for that kind of focus. We need to pray for a focus on God's love and Christ's endurance. How would you describe your prayer life? Is it consistent? Is it regular? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 says, pray, praying always. Be, be, uh, pray without ceasing, actually, is what, how it's worded. And we should be praying on a regular basis. But more specifically, how are you praying? Are you praying only for physical needs? They are important. We should pray for healing. We should pray for uh, physical needs when people are sick. We should pray for miracles. We should pray for healing. But we do a great disservice in our prayers when we don't pray for spiritual needs. Because those are on the heart of God as well. That you and I are in a spiritual battle is a reality and God's Spirit is the only one who can give us the victory. So we need to pray for the spiritual needs not only of ourselves, but also for one another. Are you praying for one another and for one another's spiritual needs? Pray for spiritual feats in ministry. Pray for spiritual faithfulness and temptation. Pray for spiritual focus in hearts. Before we go into our moment of invitation, I just want you to um, I want to just challenge you to consider your own prayer life and respond to the Lord during our time of invitation. You may um, I didn't mention any of these things in my message today because our text really didn't speak of them, but maybe you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and uh, that is your greatest spiritual need right now. And we've been praying for you already this morning that if you are lost and you're not sure if you died today that you would go to heaven, we've already been praying that you would accept Christ as your Savior. I want you to know that God's Word says that we're sinners. We have a sin nature and we can't do anything in and of ourselves, even good things, to earn our way to heaven. We're just unable to do it. But God loved us so much that He provided a way of salvation through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the only one in history who could take away the penalty of our sins. And He died on the cross for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the whole world. And all you have to do is accept Him as your personal Savior. If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, we've already been praying for your spiritual needs. Will you respond to God's Word? Maybe there's another decision that God's worked in your heart about. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You've been saved, but you haven't been obedient in that respect. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you haven't been witnessing as you should. I want to encourage you to do that as well. Maybe uh, the Lord's been working in your heart about joining First Baptist Church. I encourage you to respond to God's Word. But maybe about prayer. Maybe the Lord's hit you a lot along the head like me, upside the head like me about praying for spiritual needs more consistently. And I encourage you during our time of invitation to respond to the, to the Holy Spirit as He's been speaking to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for 
your word and that it does give us instruction for life, but also for godliness. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would help us, Lord, to respond to your word as you've been working in our hearts. Pray for your Holy Spirit to have victory, to claim victories today. Uh, Lord, that people make decisions that matter for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.